Hello, and welcome to the Clockwork Game Design Podcast. I am your host, Keith Bergun. Thanks for joining me. Um, So we haven't had as many podcasts uh, recently of late because I'm on a super tight schedule recently for Gem Wizards Tactics, my turn-based tactical game uh, that I've been trying to get out. Um, My release date has been December 15th, uh, but we're now in the process of thinking about delaying that by about a month or so. Um, but we, there will be more news on that in the future. In any case, though, that doesn't really change the the amount of, that the amount that of time that I have to apply to other things besides Gem Wizards. I mean, I, I this game is like my my baby. It's kind of the uh, uh, you know for forever. I've wanted to make a game, obviously a game that you can live in, and a game that is representative of everything that I talk about on this show and. Um, or at least many of the things. Um, so I haven't had as much time. I have a bunch of people on the on call, sort of, to come on as a guest. Uh, I've got a, a good four or five different people, but I've just been putting it off a bit while I'm focusing all my efforts and energy on Gem Wizards Tactics. Um, but with that said, uh, recently, last week, um, so we have the Discord, which I always recommend people come by and at least lurk if you don't... Uh, chat um but we had a good conversation about a uh, game design conversation about specifically wind conditions and uh that led into another conversation about um sort of ideal strategy game design that sort of thing and those are the two topics that this conversation really bounced between and there was some interesting interplay between the two ideas and uh, yeah, so we, Brett and I, Brett Lowy, who has been working with me on Gem Wizards a little bit, and he's now working on another uh, very exciting project. Uh, I think I've mentioned that it's the digital version of Dragon Bridge, um, and that's pretty, that's super cool. But anyway, he and I have been like really working together a lot on stuff, and we also got into this big game design conversation. And if you don't know, Brett also has his own blog, uh, and he writes on game design, and he does some great stuff. And he actually wrote an article called Axes of Victory, which is, talks about these different axes on which uh, sort of victory can be pursued, I suppose. Um, and and so I had some questions about that, and, and I think we had a good discussion about it. Um, I'll read you a little bit from the opening section of his article uh, called Axis of Victory. Uh, first, a definition. Axis of Victory, a spectrum along which player, power, or position is measured. Once a player achieves sufficient progress, a critical mass, along an axis relative to an opponent or the game state, they can convert or exploit that position into a victory. Uh, parentheses. Note that sometimes an overwhelming advantage along one axis will actually be converted into another to formalize the win. See StarCraft, Magic the Gathering, or more examples later. Um, and uh, going further a little bit with the article, why we care. Having multiple axes of victory can help create, quote, strategy dance slash pivoting dynamics, obfuscate player positions, and introduce hard-to-compare trade-offs. So that's kind of gives you a sense of what the article is about. I recommend uh, checking it out. It'll be in the show notes. 
Brett has been on the show before, and if you don't know about his games, you should definitely go check out Brain Good Games. Um, Solar Settlers is uh, one of my favorites. I also did the soundtrack to Militia 2 last year, which um, obviously I recommend you check out. And uh, yeah, check out all of his stuff. He's, he's, he's a really, if you're interested in strategy games, especially single player strategy games, there's like nobody better that you can focus on uh, than, than him and his work. So definitely be aware of him. Thank you for listening. As always, you can support the show on patreon.com slash Keith Bergun. Um, and without any further ado, I give you my conversation with Brett Lowy. Yeah, like we were talking about um, wind conditions uh, and how like how many wind conditions an, an ideal strategy game should have or something like that. Um, and uh, how that relates to um, like this other concept of like means to victory. So like the conditions that are created that allow you to win. Um, but so at some point, uh, the, the conversation splintered a bit because um, like I was trying to make a case that adding win conditions to a game can uh, give a game certain properties or like imbue it with certain properties. And it, like in a practical sense that can uh, improve a game that we could make today. Uh, um, but my, like I got, I felt like I got pushback on the, because, and, and framed as though like the ideal strategy game would only have one, formal win condition um i don't know i don't know I, i'm not exactly 100 percent sure where our disagreement is actually okay um i can i can maybe talk about how i think about those two terms if you like sure. um sure sure yeah like so so i think like there is ideal or or sort of maybe prescriptive um game design theory the kinds of stuff that i my book is usually about uh my books are about and you know like the kinds of like you know, sort of in general statements uh, or like a model of not like, it's not like you have like some perfect game in mind. Uh, I don't think that exists even theoretically, but, right. um, or even makes sense as a concept, but uh, that you have this, um, like this, uh, I get really what it is. It's kind of like, it's kind of like standards or it's kind of like, uh, formalization of certain, you could say aesthetics, even like mechanical aesthetics. Um, right. and like, yeah, it's, it's kind of like the formalization of a language or, um, you know, like the honing in on like what makes a certain model or a certain kind of, uh, system work. And then if we have this like certain really specific model, um, which may or may not, you know, really map to reality that that well um, in a practical sense. Um, we have this model, though. We have this little like engine that you know is internally consistent or whatever, and we right. can use that. That's like the ideal theory that we can use that to make uh, judgments and care, you know, uh, characterize things that we're working on in certain ways. And and you know, it's at the very least, it can be like useful in the way that like astrology can be useful you know what i mean like <laughs> of like it's just throwing some stuff at you and you're like huh you know maybe i do uh have uh i don't know like an obstacle keeping me from achieving my success or whatever it is you know um right. okay interesting so, so so yeah like it can yeah, range from like astrology level to like 
Oh, no, actually, yeah, this, this like, and this is that for me in my personal experience, the ideal theory helps me all the time um, to achieve what I'm trying to go for. Uh, so, so that's the ideal theory. And then on the other hand, you have the practical. Now, now I, I'm not so sure that there is anything such a thing. There's more practical theory. Like, I guess like theory has like more and less practical and more and less. Uh, but I feel like most practical theory in game design uh, would either be just like self reports of what someone did in a particular game or, you know, like a, like a, like, um, uh, sort of, uh, what's the word, uh, like a memoir of, you know, or a, a, a post yeah. postmortem or something, uh, or it would just be, um, you know, like uh, just general game de- development advice or you know what i mean like it wouldn't be like here's how to make a better rule set because like i feel like that is the territory of the uh, sort of ideal theory that's kind of my worldview. Yeah. okay cool yeah so I, th- I think i do see where we disagree then so like my perspective would be more contextual i think like rather than having like an idealized like a universal standard set of standards or whatever um that would like contribute to the ideal theory i would think more of like there's certain subclasses of types of games that we might want to make or certain characteristics we might want our game to have. And so practical theory would involve, uh, first of all, determining like what those characteristics might be uh, and like how we might modify them. And second of all, like practical advice about how we could do that. Um, does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. No, no, I, I may have misspoken if, if you thought, got the impression that I was saying that there would be an ideal theory that would apply to all kinds of games. I mean, even within my theory, there is the breakdown of the four forms, right? And right. you can get more narrow than that, too, I, I think. Um, but like, but like, you know, so for, for strategy games, and I think you should get more narrow than that, because like in reality, there are more like uh, you can get a lot more uh, granular with that. But right. but yeah, like a rule that applies to puzzle design is not going to apply to uh, to strategy game design, for example. Yeah. So I, like, I guess what I'm saying is that like there's certain subclasses of strategy games, even in my conception. Yeah. That would like uh, that would suggest different types of standards. Mm hmm. Um, Whereas you would think of like the strategy game as like a thing that has like a certain set of universal standards. Is that, is that fair? I think both of those things are true. Um, That there's like, well, well, I guess to be really precise about it, like, yes, the first thing you said is correct. There are many different conceptions of the strategy game. Uh, There are many different um, types of ways one can make a thing that, is great in its own way and also is a strategy game in its own way. Um, And so like, yeah, like uh, the, the strategy game that I talk about, and maybe this is something that I've been sort of more uh, coming to terms with in the last five years or whatever is, uh, is not like a universal strategy game. It's funny. It's like at first, you know, in my earliest writings, I was writing about, I was using the word game to talk about, this very specific yeah, conception right. of strategy games, actually. And then I moved yeah. it to strategy games. I and mean, honestly, that's still not really precise enough. Um, uh, right. y- you know what I mean? So because there are many different conceptions of strategy yeah, games. Like, and cause, Yeah, because yeah, like maybe, yeah, maybe that is the disconnect we're having. Because like sometimes in the conversation, um, what will happen is you'll propose like a, um, a standard or a, or a guideline or whatever um, for a type of game and it i yeah i think it might 
sometimes there's a disconnect between whether that's like a, a like a strategy game in general, like any member of the class of strategy games, or whether it's like a Burgundian clockwork game design strategy game or whatever. Yeah, and I mean, I think that that, uh, that actually is messy, right? Like there isn't a clean line between those things. Like because, right. you know, some of the thing, and it's hard to know, like some of the things in the, what that we might think of as like a Burgundian thing may actually apply really broadly to like maybe most right. or even all strategy games, but some right. of them might be only particular to that one subset. Right. So then taking it into like the practical example, like when we're talking about win conditions, right? Like mm -hmm. a, a guideline you might come up with is like a strategy game might, or a strategy game is best served by having one win condition, right? That mm -hmm. could be like a statement that you can make. Yeah. But it, yeah, so what we're, what it seems, sounds like we're both saying is that could apply at the level of strategy game general, or it could apply at the game, level of Burgundian clockwork strategy game. And part of the discourse is like figuring out what level that applies at. Yeah, and I, I mean, I have, I'm of the opinion that for pretty much, like for for many things that we would call strategy games, um, it's probably it would be better, uh, even ones like, I'm I'm trying to think of we I had trouble finding examples. I mean, the 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 classic example of a game that I can think of that has multiple victory conditions that are really like you know big clear multiple victory conditions is Civilization, and it's also sure. a game that I played a lot, and I think it's also a game that has a lot of flaws, like a lot of very clear obvious problems and ways that it could be improved and i i do think uh another game that i've played is master of magic where i think there's actually technically two win conditions in master of magic um right one is uh just you know dominate everybody um and then the other is like casting this spell of power or something like that um right and uh which is basically a science victory uh but uh but i find that that's better to have the the and i, I wish it was just the one um so so like that's an example where you know because i think civ is you know someone who wants to defend civ from my critiques would say like well it's Civ is kind of like part toy. It's kind of like part simulation, uh, narrative generation. It's like, it's also like sort of a historical or like, you know, it's like this, uh, yeah, like a simulator of like some weird conception of history, you know? Um, and that's why it's got like specific, uh, you know, the British and it's got like the printing press and all these like very specific things. Um, and, uh, and so I think it's doing multiple things. That's true. But at the same time, I still think that it would just be better if it had one victory condition. Yeah. So I definitely don't want to defend Civ, even if we're just talking about its merits as like a, a means of delivering strategically interesting decisions. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think it's very efficient at doing that. Like, first of all, it's like really long. Um, and like, it's also trying to like capture this like narrative or toy like uh fun at the same time right and like part mm -hmm. of your theory like the original theory is like that there's the four forms and it should kind of like choose what type of uh value it's trying to uh emphasize right mm -hmm. but so like i don't i don't want to defend civ on that axis as like a strategy game but so yeah like getting to the win conditions thing like the, we had the disagreement or the the miscommunication about like what level of game I don't know how, like, you know, like game strategy games or Burgundian strategy game mm -hmm. that we're analyzing. And then, but I think the second disagreement we had was about like the term win conditions. And so in Civ, there are four formal win conditions, right? I think four, right? Like nah, four there's or... more than four. I think there's like six or something. But yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, there's a there's, lot. Yeah, there's like military and culture and science. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. But they're pretty like um, orthogonal to each other. Like if you pursue science, you're basically like not pursuing military for the most. That's an oversimplification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of the tower works. Um, but so my what what I was arguing on the Discord is that what's more important to analyze in terms of like a contest of decision making, uh, like the broad class of strategy games, um, than win conditions per se, like the formal win conditions, is like this concept of the axes of victory or the axes of victory. And so, and I wrote an article about what that means because I realized that like I was just I, I was using a term that was making it unclear for people to follow. So I wanted to define what it meant. And so uh, an axis of victory is like some, um, uh, it's like a spectrum along which uh, player power is measured um, uh, or like their position is measured. Um, so like in Civ, you have, you could have like a large army, right? And so then you would have, you would be, uh, have a high value for along the axis of victory of military win. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, it does make sense. So yeah, so then, but then the other thing is that those axes of victory may or may not correspond to the formal win conditions of the game. Um, so for example, in StarCraft, say we're playing StarCraft, if I get uh, Corsairs, and we're playing, I'm playing Protoss and you're playing Zerg, and I get a whole bunch of Corsairs and remove your overlords, then you don't have a way of detecting, and I can make Dark Templar and exploit your um, your lack of detection in order to win. So I'm winning along the axis of victory of detection, like in the detection game. Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It's not exactly the army game. It's not exactly the econ game. It's not. It's a, it's like another axis, and this axis exists kind of independently of the formal win condition of StarCraft, which is destroy all of their buildings. Like. Once I've exploited this detection axis to a certain extent, or once I've like achieved a big enough lead in it, that will eventually like result in me formalizing the win as killing all your buildings. But it's the 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 act of achieving this dominance on the detection axis, which is like allowing me to win. Yeah, like I uh, okay, so like the the mechanics of what you're talking about there, I totally understand. I think that makes sense. Uh, that's true. Yep. I think that um, that the, my objection to so yeah, you wrote this article about Axis of Victory. I, I read it through it a couple times, and we talked about uh, some of these concepts in there. And I think that my issue is that like um, like there. There are those things where you can say, okay, yeah, I got rid of their overlords and now yep. like this very binary sort of thing where like they just don't have any detection um, and I can clearly see that and I can we can all kind of see how like that could lead to you winning the game, right? Um, well, I want to push back on that a little bit. Like it doesn't okay. have to be binary. Like they might not have to, they might just have too few overlords or not have enough overlords at the right positions anymore. Uh, right like that. right that's true um yeah uh i guess my, my my general like concern with the concept is that like the whole game should just be this big messy soup of like they're not they shouldn't be like axes like in that in this sort of like formalized clear way it should be like there's sure. just like axes everywhere and it's actually hard to know in the, like like one of my problems with most games yeah. that people make now is that at halfway through the game you kind of do know 
let someone's winning yep. because you can look at some metric like that, you know? You could, like, I mean, League of yep. Legends, we talked about gold and how, like, if you're watching a pro match of League of Legends, you could just kind of watch the gold number. And that's, like, you know, that's, like, that kind of tells you who's winning. I mean, it's not 100%, yeah. but it, like, kind of is, like, who's good, who's winning. And I think so, that games should not have those things where, like, you can just look at some small slice of the game and be like, oh, they're they're winning now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I basically agree with this and like, so like, but I would just say, um, like, like that's a problem when you have one axis of victory, right? Like gold. Right. But as soon as you even have two, like army and econ, for example, it only like knowing the values of just those two axes is not enough or knowing the value of just one of those axes is not enough to know who's winning. And so like, like I agree that a game to be interesting, like, to be interesting in terms of like a strategic dance, uh, which I would define as like playing around with these different axes of victory. Um, in order for a game to be interesting in a strategic dance sense and not just be like an optimization puzzle, it has to have like enough of these axes of victory going on. Um, so like I agree with that. Uh, okay. That part. But my my like formal uh, point is something like adding more win conditions can have the effect of multiplying the number of axes of victory right um, yeah, yeah which, i think which, yeah which, which can contribute to that like strategic soup that you're kind of like advocating for yeah yeah i i totally agree with that um my so so i guess yeah like getting into the win conditions and how many how many win conditions or victory conditions or goals a game should have uh right. is is also i guess its own topic but like my my feeling is that a game a strategy game um, should have one, and that's not because you can't, you don't gain benefit from adding more. As you say, like, it, as you add more, it is a pretty reliable, I think, way to create these new axes of victory, right? Because, like, like well, right. obviously, I mean, like, there's literally a different thing you can do yeah. to win now. Um, <laughs> right, right. But I, I, I tend to feel that there's a, a bunch of problems that come with that as well that right. um, that make it, like... I don't want to say never worth it because like, you know, game design's hard. Sometimes you just have to do what you have to do. And this kind of goes back to the practical. That's like, to right. me, that's what practical theory is. Practical theory is you do whatever needs to be done to make the game work. You know what I mean? Like, and right. uh, because it's like a, such a death struggle to like try to, like, it's a miracle. Yeah. If someone's designing a right. kind of new game, <laughs> it's like a miracle if they can get it to work. So uh, whatever yeah. they need to do to make that happen, I like, you know, uh, I wish, like, I have nothing but, like, support for that, but... Yeah, but, but hold on for a second. Hold yeah, on. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying practical theory is. Like, if you need to get something done, or, like, your game is lacking something, or or you, it needs some property that it doesn't have, practical theory can describe steps you might take to get there. So one practical theory example is, like, my game is doesn't have enough of this, like, strategic dance or soup. And so one practical theory set of advice you could give is like, oh, you could add like an axis of victory and it might have downsides, which you're about to describe, I think. But like then you would take into account like the trade off that you're making. You know what I'm saying? It's like but so now it's like I'm trying to like struggle and like make this game and make it work. So the practical theory tells me like this is a, an approach that you can take and these are the trade offs that you're going to be making. Yeah, I think that's I think that that's good. I I, I guess like. I feel like I guess the reason I'm a little bit resistant to that is because I feel like the the 
the practical theory should come after the uh, after the the ideal theory, I guess, because it's really hard to make those pronouncements about like what are the trade offs and stuff if we don't know. Uh, like like it seems to me that like the thing that has to kind of come first is like okay, what what are we actually like kind of going for? What are our values? So, like what are our what would we like to see in this game? And ultimately, like in a broad sense, um, and and I think those that is. To be fair, that is like the hardest question in all of arts is like, what should we value? What should we want to make and why, you know? Um, right. But, and I, I kind of think that varies like from game to game. Um, yeah. Like, like, yeah. So like from particular strategy game to particular strategy game even. like. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think that's true. Well, I think that is true. When it comes to like making a game, I think that's going to be always the case is that there's going to be like, okay, well, this game needs blankety blank. But I think that if we're just talking about like game design, step back from actually making a game and just like step back and look at like game design theory, just general, like we're, 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 you're going into a class for game design, right? Like you're teaching game design or you're learning game design in a general sense, in a broad sense. Um, right. In that case, then I think that we have to, we have to create some kind of like, you know, like a, like a lattice work or, you know, structure. Like a set of, set of values kind of. Yeah. A set of values and, and, and they don't have to be ironclad and they, but they has to be something, some like North star around which or anchor that like everything, all those uh, trade-offs that you're talking about with the practical theory can then happen with respect to, do you know what I mean? I I know what you mean, but I, I don't think I agree with that because like the, because I think that the the values are going to vary from project to project, and so I think the best thing you can do is like, or maybe well maybe the most practical thing you can do is to say like for a given set of values these are the trade offs you might be making, and then for this other different different set of values these are the trade offs you might be making. But I don't think you can just like, well you can right you can just like uh, formalize a set of values and say like these are the ones that. Um, uh, I'm only going to talk about it or whatever, but I, I don't know. I just think it's kind of limited. Well, okay. Uh, think of it this way. Like if you have a, de- a designer, right? Like, um, like yourself or, or like myself, um, sure. you know, uh, and we've both made a bunch of different projects in our uh, time. Uh, people right. older than us have made a lot more games and you can look at right. the, the, the long series of games, different projects they've made, and you can see that they, you can, throughout them, even if they all had different parameters and things that like, oh, okay, this game was like a two-player tabletop game, so it needed blankety-blank, you know? Or this game right. was blankety-blank. Like, you can still kind of see in a designer, like Reiner Knizia or something, like you can see certain values that he has, yeah. and he, he doesn't necessarily write books about it and, you know, write articles about it, but like, you know, one could look at his discography or his game ludography or whatever and be like, yep. uh, this is the things that he sort of like, this is his game design theory, like his, you know, his broad conception of what games are and what they should be and how they should work and all right. that kind of stuff. And and yeah. and so it's like whether you state that formally or not is is one thing, but like it's there, you know what I mean? And sure. I think, I think sure. that... Um, that that's what I'm saying is like we all would benefit from like being able to like, you know, elucidate and, and explain those things that are guiding our, uh, our things that have nothing to do with a specific project, right? They're not about a specific project. They're just like 
broad values of like this would be good in games generally sure but not it would be good in all games like it would be good in the types of games that i am interested in or that i want to make i guess or something like that yeah or or the types of games that i'm interested in for this decade of my life or something like that right Uh, you know what i mean yeah no it's definitely i mean like like i think what you're saying is like the the nature of the universe is like you know just sort of chaotic and uh changing and uh you know dynamic and uh and the nature of like life and just like how what people like and it's extremely unpredictable and it's extremely and i think we have to keep that in mind right like there's there's it's just there's a lot of just like black boxness that that is uh involved and that's not you can't be gotten around completely but i do think that there is uh, something to the idea of trying even, of even sure. even proposing. Again, we can go back to like all the way to the astrology sort of function, um, right. but but we don't even need to go that far. Like, I think there's something to the, the uh, there's a value to being like, hey, you know what? Maybe games in general, like maybe like all games are about blankety blank, you know, or like, or like maybe what we've all been kind of trying to go for on some level with all games ever made, or like with most games ever made even, or half games ever, I don't know, some for sure, sure you know, has been this one sort of thing that we're kind of going for, or, um, you know, I, that's, that's a little bit broad, but just to make the point that like, uh, sure. there's, there's something to that kind of like anchoring and creating, because really what it is, is I guess you could say is it's about creating a narrative, uh, or like it's, it's about like, cre- it's about creating meaning. And like, I think that a lot of how, why a particular game kind of works or not is because of that like story or that like, um, you know, story, like the, the legend of like what games are and what games could be, um, sure. You know, and that and that applies to uh, someone playing like a really like um, uh, like a, a narrative console game where they're going through like a linear story where the store the 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 proposed value there is like this like hollow deck you know simulation uh, fantasy simulation kind of thing, right? Um, and that that's a that's a narrative about what games are and what they can be. And then on the other hand, you have I think designers like us who are have a story, a narrative about games as these little machines that you can just like explore endlessly, like these little evergreen machines that are just so interesting and so cool and are constantly surprising you. And right. um, and and this is kind of what I'm talking about with with uh, this is like the essence and the core of why I think this stuff is is important is because. You know, I mean, for one thing, it it like excites the imagination and it also uh, it also. um, So I don't know. I think I I, I know what you're saying. I think that it can be constricting. It can be like weird and elitist and confusing. Um, But I also think that it can. It's how we create meaning. It's like everyone has one of these. I just I just say mine out loud. I feel like. Sure. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Right. So like. Tell me if this sounds right to you. <laughs> like what I heard was that you're saying that like each designer kind of has a set of values uh, that consists of like a theory of like what games are and what they should be. Um, and what I'm saying is that each game, each project has a set of values about yeah. what games are and what games should be. Does that make sense? Yes, I agree. I agree. Okay. Uh, each game cool. is like a little micro version of a proposition of like what the universe of games is like. 
You know right. what I mean? Right. Um, that, would be, that would be much closer to my position. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, well, both are true. I think uh, that both are true. We have right. to do all the things, you know, ultimately, I think. Cool. Um, I, 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 and if anything, I was just saying that, like, the order... Well, I guess I guess maybe it doesn't make much sense to to say that the order has to be one way or the other because there's a little bit of a chicken or egg thing there, you know. I mean, which right. like like I said, everyone has a game, a broad universal game design theory in their head, and they've been building that up over decades and decades of playing games and and loving Definitely. games and and hating games, and you know, uh, yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, I, I, my like practical approach would be something like. Um, like as you're starting a project, you kind of implicitly or explicitly like define what the values are that you're pursuing, and then like you try to maximize along those values or whatever, um, like make the best thing along those values that you can. And then from a th like that's a that's from the game making side. And then from the theory side, like when you're making theory, I feel like you just the way to get around like the the problem of like uh, the values might change is that you have to define upfront what values the like, like axes of victory, right? Mm -hmm. Like that concept is useful in the framework of making uh, a certain type of game, and it's like it tends to be like a decisiony, competitive, uh, strategic type of game. Right. Um, and so, like implicitly or explicitly, like that's kind of defined up front that like this game is going to be competitive, it's going to be strategic, it's going to have like decision making. Like that's like the type of game that like this axis axis of victory concept makes sense in. Um, so then like you have like that value framework like laid out and then like, but, and then also you might want to, so then you can talk about like what effect it has on those values and like what negative effect it might have on other values they might be trying to pursue. Um, well, yeah, but I'm just saying like, well, what do you mean negative? Well, so like, uh, well, <laughs> that, that's sort of something that we bowled over uh, from earlier. Um, and that's something I'm interested in hearing you talk about, actually, like what downside, like you're saying that as like, I'm saying that as you add win conditions, it can add axes of victory. And I think we both agreed on that. Uh -huh. But you're saying that as you add win conditions, it also comes with other baggage yeah. that you might, uh, or downsides uh, to mm -hmm. it. So I'd like to hear what you think those are. Well, before I say what I think the specific downsides are, like I can't say what the downsides are if I don't have that broader... You know, like that's what I'm saying. Like, what do you mean negative? Like, negative? Why is why is something? Why is anything negative in games? Like, well, why? You because, know. Yeah, and I'm saying, like, as part of your answer, you'd have to say what your value system is, basically, or like right. what value you're talking about. Right, uh, and that's and I think that's partly why game talking about games has been so hard. Um, I agree. Yeah, totally. Is that? that was the, sorry. sorry. Well, yeah, uh, I was just going to say that, like, we all have our own conception. Our, we're all, we all basically have our own versions of our own clockwork game design, you know, right. theory that uh, varies too wildly from each other. And we don't really have it hasn't been like formalized in any way where we can like understand uh, you know, understand each other, and maybe that's true in right. in in all art. Maybe that's not just unique to games. Um, right. uh, but uh, yeah, sorry, go on. You were gonna say. Yeah, something. I had a light bulb moment there. Like that's something I really liked about your theory in general. Is like uh, early on, you talk about how games aren't categorized very well, and so like we try to apply like the same values that we apply to Mario to like Dear Esther, and the same values that we apply to both of those to like Civilization. Mm -hmm. And the same values we apply to those to like Aro. And it's like, well, th these are just completely different machines, right? Like it's 
the value systems that these things are uh, trying to emphasize are completely different, right? Yeah. So, um, like, I totally agree with that part. So, what I'm hearing now is like we have to get better about saying up front, like defining what our values are um, in each game design discussion, kind of, or like in each context. Like in the Keith Bergun Discord or whatever, like we have like, well, and sometimes it's more clear and sometimes it's less clear, but for the most part, we have some set of uh, common values about like contests of decision making are valuable and like um, you don't want to like totally blow away um, the meaning inherent to the match with mm-hmm. like output randomness and I don't know. There, we have certain values, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, like so that's that would be my counter to like you're saying that like we can't define any we can't make any statements without a system of values. It's like, I agree, but we just have to de- be get better about defining those values up front. And part of that is about like categorizing these games better. And that's part of what your theory is doing. So that's cool. Yeah, I think, uh, and that's kind of what I'm saying is like, that's, that's something I've always sort of wanted more of is exactly is that. And like, that's something that like when I read, you know, game design books, a lot of the time, um, I wish that they did more of that. And instead, a lot of them are more like, um, you know, descriptive overviews of like, basically more like, you know, it's funny, like, I sometimes I uh, get these books that are just like, like history books, history of games books, that are yeah. like, you know, like coffee table books, there's this one high score, or there's like, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of a uh, bunch of really good games, history books. And yeah. like, when I read a lot of quote unquote game design books, I'm like, that's what this is. It's just like an overview of what has been done. Like it's a, you know, it, yeah. it, it's not proposing anything. It's not, and it's right. not, it's not doing that thing um, where we say like, this is what we think games are. This is what we would think it would be. If, if there were a bad game in the universe, here's why we think that might be the case, that it would be bad. You know what I mean? Um, right. And, and I would and, just say like bad, bad at being what? Like bad at being Exactly. Bad. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Well, yeah. And so like, and then part of our disagreement here, like I think even with the wing condition stuff is like, I think that there's a subset of strategy game that plays around in this space of like alternate win conditions and, and like strategic dance and axes of victory that is like worthwhile to explore. Um, and yeah. And so like, but then we have to get better about like defining that, like, that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about like these different, sets of practical advice or these different terms or whatever, you know? Yeah. I mean, I also just, I just might be wrong, you know, like even by my own, uh, by my own standards, I might just be mistaken. And there might be like some good examples of games where there are multiple victory conditions and, you know, I might just be kind of brain poisoned by Civ and I played a lot of Civ and it's, you know, it's a, it's such a bad example of so many things. And, um, uh yeah, it could just be that. Like uh you've mentioned uh you mentioned at least one game that I had not played uh sure. that had multiple victory conditions and uh yeah, I'm just I'm 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 trying to think through like the history of like playing different board games which I where I feel like that's probably if someone does multiple victory conditions and it's good, it's probably going to be in the tabletop space, I feel like. <laughs> Almost always, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um uh was chaos in the old world like that i'm trying to remember uh i don't i'm not su- i've played that game a couple times but it was a long time ago so yeah it was I'll, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll probably get it uh i'll probably get it wrong i feel I like i'm talking yeah sorry go ahead i was gonna I say that a little bit about civ um, yeah go for it so yeah like civ does have like multiple um win conditions like formal win conditions but i think and i laid this out in the article a little bit but 
I think part of the problem is that um, in Civ, to too great an extent, you're like encouraged to just like focus on one of them and not to like play in this strategic dance. It's not like you're kind of like juggling between like having too much culture or having too much military and like pivoting into another one like when something happens or mm-hmm. something like that. Civ is much more just like okay, try to optimize along this one axis, and then yep. once you reach the threshold, you win. Um, yeah, and so like I don't think that that's like giving you the strategic dance stuff that like I would look for and like that I think is cool about the multiple axes of victory. Um, yeah. And there are games, like you've given examples of games that have one victory condition, multiple axes of victory. So, um, but, but yeah, so I think maybe that's just a good example is to think about like, um, think about some, or good ideas to think about some examples uh, of games that, uh, uh, that, that do that well. Um, Like you've played Crimson Company, right? Like a knockout game? Yep. Yeah, so like that's got the classic like three lane setup, right? Where mm-hmm. like, you have to win. I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you have to win two out of three lanes, right? First person to win yeah. two lanes, basically. Right. Yeah. So like the win, the formal win condition of that is that like win two out of three lanes, right? But yeah. I would conceptualize this as like there are three axes of victory, and those are the three lanes. And so you, what you're trying to do is like win on two of those three, and so you still have like this strategic dance and pivoting stuff going on, but it's like in a lane like lane by lane, if that makes sense. So it's like, I could like feign uh, committing to lane three a little bit and then pivot into committing really hard on lane one and two. And that's roughly analogous to like in StarCraft, like I could feign making a whole bunch of Zerglings, but then pivot into like show you Zerglings and make you like overcommit to defense. And then, but pivot really hard into like taking two more bases and building a whole bunch of drones or whatever. Right. Um, I mean, I yeah, yeah, I, and there's, I feel like there's something in there that's like tingling my spider sense of things that I don't like in games where like, right. you know, where, and it's not just the, like the whole Yomi aspect, which isn't really in Crimson Company um, much, right. but, um, but, the, but it's more like that there are these like big signals of like, you know, Starcraft, for example, like you can be like, you can do like, you can like signal really hard that you're kind of going for blankety blank and then you can like, like pivot. Or something. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Whereas I, I feel like those big signals are, are too like flat. And, and I guess that's my, my problem with the axis of victory as a design concept is like, I don't want these to be so formalized. I want them to be more of like a big messy soup that we can't really point to the things. Um, do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, so, in fact, like a I crimson. I crim- if I were, if there were to be a crimson company too, my advice would be like, all right, let's try to find a way that we can make what you said about the three lanes being three axes of victory like less and less and less true, because right. there would be other resources, there would be like other ways for lanes to interact with each other. Like, it just becomes more and more of this big soup. You know what I mean? Right. So the reason I wanted to define the axis of victory in general is because like that's like the high level concept of like there's like an advantage that you can push that is going to lead you to a victory, right? Mm-hmm. And they might be like defined by the system and they might not. But the cool thing is like um regardless of the number of win conditions kind of like these can like splinter into like more refined axes of victory, right? So like it might be it might be found out in like year 10 of StarCraft or whatever that like having two reavers at 8 minutes in PvZ uh, if they don't have X, Y, and Z is just an axis of victory. Like that's like a way that you can win basically. Like a dominant strategy kind of. Yeah. Right. 
like or like yeah like you can convert that into a win reliably so then the game becomes about like one player trying to prevent you from doing that and the other player you know like whatever that's like one aspect of the game is like maintaining a uh focus or uh, not a focus but like maintaining awareness of that axis right like that's another axis that you have to keep in mind as you're playing the game right um so these kind of like these the axes can kind of like emerge out of the rules of the game and i think that's more like what you prefer is like when like whatever then then there can be like a huge possibility cloud of like different axes of victory right mm -hmm. like there's like the reaver thing and then there's like the corsair dark templar detection thing going on on this side and then there's like some kind of like two gate zealot in the middle when you don't have a sunken colony thing going on like there's just a whole bunch of different axes of victory right mm -hmm. and they're kind of like they're all pretty like disconnected from the formal win condition um in starcraft which is like destroy buildings right mm -hmm. um but so yeah like i don't know like like my the way i see it in my head is like by adding formal win conditions or like by adding more formalized axes of victory you're like making two like now you have like two trees on the ground that can splinter out into all these different axes of victory whereas like in a single win condition game you have one tree on the ground that can splinter out to all these different axes of victory um yeah uh, i i think that 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 tree model is good and actually that's a good place for me to explain my concerns about it um great. which is that um so my conception of the you know the the strategy game is um really based around this idea of having a core mechanism right. and uh and and then when you can identify uh your core mechanism that allows you to be like all right what are the supporting mechanisms of that core right. mechanism and then what is not and if something isn't i can just delete it pretty much or like replace it with something that is and totally. and then that core mechanism um should should like really have a very tight relationship with the goal so like you know um i don't know smash brothers it's like you know knock them out of the ring is the goal and your core mechanism is like you know not like hitting the opponent or whatever right. knockback i guess you could say something like that um and so, uh, and so when you have multiple of these, I think what happens, it's, it's, it's kind of like the two screen problem in games. One right. of them becomes dominant. Like that's the whole reason that I care about a, a single core mechanism is because every game is going to have a core mechanism. It's just a matter of whether the designer chooses it or not. You know what I mean? So I don't, yeah, I, I do know what you mean, but I don't think I agree with that. I don't think that it's necessarily the case that one of them has to become dominant. I think that there's like definitely like that's a danger when you're designing mm -hmm. that like one of the one of these two trees can eat the other tree basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then like you only actually have one tree and then there's like all this like all these mechanics and whatever that are actually just like red herrings in the game. Mm -hmm. That's like crappy, like just from a production standpoint and like rules learning and whatever, like that stuff can be cut. Like you're talking, right? Because yeah. it, it's not actually like part of what the players are doing to try to win. But I don't think that's like a necessary uh, effect of having multiple win conditions or like multiple high level access of victory, like either way, how that works. Like um, I just think that's like something you need to like keep in mind. Like if one of them is the, if one of them is the only one that's relevant to trying to win, then you need to do some balancing to make that less the case. I think. Yeah, I mean, maybe I, I find that like in my in my sort of experience of seeing games get try to get balanced and of, of of working on games that have these kind of qualities, I feel that like uh, that there's something like the way 
either the way you balance it is by like you basically again choosing one as the core mechanism and like diminishing the other a lot and making it sort of a supporting mechanism or you're just endlessly locked in you find yourself endlessly locked in this like trying to balance something that's like fundamentally unbalanceable uh loop that's been my experience and, and i mean maybe we, you can come up with uh, some examples that you feel like are are good counter examples to that <clears throat> sure I, I mean like i think dragon bridge kind of has like multiple axes of victory um and two of them are formal and one of them isn't like or like like i think like the formal victory conditions in dragon bridge are pushing your opponent into the end zone and you escaping from the other end basically mm -hmm. um but then there's also like item advantages that you can gain by like getting a bunch of green gems and then buying items and there's also like white gem advantage you can get by like pushing them a bunch at least with the expansion and the bridge axe in um and so there's kind of like four axes of victory in the game. Um, and like a lot of the design work that uh, we ended up doing uh, over the course of like the playing the tournaments and uh, and refining Dragon Bridge was to make sure that like all of these things are like relevant to trying to win. You know what I mean? Um, and it, like, I'm not saying that it's like trivially easy, but I am saying that like it's possible to get them to, they don't have to be perfectly balanced well, either. When it's you say that Dragon Bridge has... When you say Dragon Bridge has one core mechanism, though, uh, no, I, I don't think I would say that Dragon Bridge has one core mechanism. What What would you say that the core mechanism of Dragon Bridge is? Probably bumping. Probably like you know, like like uh, knocking the other player. Um, because in the case of uh, you winning, uh, so basically, it's really interesting. Like I've been thinking about Dragon Bridge and how it has. It's sort of like has two win conditions but like it also kind of has one because but two players like there's this really weird thing where so if people don't know the rules to dragon bridge state that you can win by either um playing a move card when you're on an escape tile so this is sort of like you escaping off the bridge off the other end the end that's far away from the dragon or uh when your opponent's turn ends while he's on a threatened tile. That's the tiles that are next to the dragon. Um, and so, uh, you know, what What both of those things are kind of an expression of is bumping, right? Because you bumped the person into the dragon or you failed to bump the person out of the escape zone. Um, and so I, I, I do think, and this is not something I had like, I mean, I kind of, you know, I always thought of it as like a bumping game, obviously, um, like in an informal sense. Um, like that was the, the the starting place. I was like, I want to make like a two-player card game. I've been trying to design a game like that for years and years and years. I want to make a two-player card game that's just all about bumping each other. And right. um, that was like my, you know, like uh, from the hip sort of design concept. But uh, as I think about it more, like that is the, that's the core mechanism and it's the... Um, uh what's it called it's the um it's the way that you both win and that the you stop the other player from winning sure like i i don't know like i feel like like i could say that about like other games that i, I don't think you would think have a core mechanism like i could say that like starcraft's core mechanism is destroying their buildings um well well kill it killing like deal you know attacking i think is the core sure. mechanism in starcraft Sure. And then, like, building units is just, like, a way to, like, enable killing. Yeah, it's a supporting yeah. mechanism. Yeah, I think so. I guess so. 
Okay, and then Ordin Magic, I could say that the core mechanism is like dealing damage. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely, because yeah, you're the, you're you're dam- damaging the creatures and you're damaging the what do they call it? The wizard or something? The the player hit point bank? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> uh, Planeswalker, I think. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, but, yeah, but uh, okay, that's interesting. I, like, I wouldn't, I don't know, like. But but I no, it, see... that, I I think that is a good that is an interesting t- discussion because like sometimes like it's not always the case that uh, if you list multiple uh, win conditions that necessarily that means there really are. I mean, there like we can definitely think of some games where they have like two win conditions, but like you know it, it's they're effectively the same thing. Um, I don't know if Dragon right. Bridge is one of those, but like there are some cases like that where they're very similar win conditions. Whereas like on the other end of the spectrum is like the Civ type win conditions, where like they're just like multiple games happening on the same map, basically. Right. And that so that's like the far example of like 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 Civ. That that's that's a that's a good example of my concern is the is what happens in Civ, and there's no way you're gonna balance culture victory and military victory. Like that's just never going to happen. Do you know what I'm saying? Because they're just two uh, totally different games that are happening on the same grid. Well, I think that's the problem is that they're two totally different games. And what has to be done is like give you a reason to do the strategy dance basically um, rather than just like pursuing one of them as an optimization puzzle. My, uh, my, and my feeling is the way to do that is through the core mechanism. Like, because otherwise you're just like you're always going to be like just doing this like stitch work on the top part of you know on the on the surface like where you're like oh okay now like like we've also like i mean civ has those things it has like all these you know like oh you get plus you know three i mean obviously these are like really bad examples but like you get these little bonuses like oh i get a culture bonus now for having this particular military unit that kind of stuff but like that is that is how I see it when when games are like this is like not that bad but like that same problem I feel like is is there is happening. Yeah, I would just say that there's like not enough of that going on, or mm-hmm. the pressure to switch is not high enough. Basically, mm-hmm. like what would need to happen is like I'm going for a culture victory in Civ, right? Um, or like I'm I'm doing some culture actions. Like I, I don't want to frame it as though like you can only do one thing at a time, right? Right. But like I'm doing some things that are like eight culture and like two military or whatever Mm -hmm. but then like my neighbor is doing like six military and zero culture so like i have to like pivot into more military or like defense or whatever to like play on the strategy dance or whatever right um that like in effect that just doesn't happen in civ because you can just kind of well at least i don't know civ is tough because like it's hard to even say like what the game that people are playing is Mm -hmm. because like some people just play it on like very easy and just like pursue the one of the i think this is kind of like this is my sense of like what most people do is they just kind of like set it on whatever difficulty and then just uh play an optimization puzzle game pursuing one of the four objectives it's more like the sims or something right yeah like yeah yeah. so it's hard to even say that like people are really engaging with it like as a strategy game Mm. say Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah yeah i don't know like like the core mechanism thing like i just don't i don't know like Like, you can say that uh, destroying things is, like, the core mechanism of StarCraft, but I just don't see how that helps you, like, analyze it as, like, a game or, like, understand, like, what's going on. Well, um, so, I mean, StarCraft on these, on this axis, I don't really have complaints with StarCraft, like, but you can imagine if there was, like, some other mechanism where, I don't know, like, 
you're doing some weird spreadsheet economy thing or something. And it's just like, we're now so many steps removed from attacking things that like, imagine if Starcraft had another screen, right. And you could like all tab to it real quick and like do this other weird, like base, like management game or something. Like you're, you're basically just are describing Starcraft though. Like that's how it works. Like you, you, camera over to your base and then you do a bunch of base management stuff and then you go to the front and like do like direct destroying stuff um like yeah it basically it, it might as well be an alt well and, and actually i mean like so we've talked a little bit about that, like uh dawn of war and games like that where they've kind of gotten rid of the base building as well as uh even you could say like uh dota and dota likes uh, as being like a uh, more advanced uh, version, and in fact, yeah, base building is a little bit too removed from the uh, from killing stuff, and uh, that that's that's a place where maybe that whole design pattern can be improved, and that's like a uh, that's a point for my case, I think, is like you know, base building is, you're right, it's actually, it is kind of like its own little screen, and look what happens with it, it becomes this largely like rote build order like annoying thing because it's not interacting on the core mechanism. It's not, it's not based on, it's not like it's too disconnected. Well, to the extent that base building doesn't work, I don't think it's because it's disconnected from the core mechanism. Um, uh, but I don't know, like, like, like base, like base building doesn't, it, well, it does work in, in some ways in Starcraft, but to the extent that it is boring and rote, it's boring and rote because it's boring and rote. It's not because it's like disconnected from the core mechanism, in my opinion. Like it could be interesting. It just happens to not be. But that's actually kind of like the design goal in like in Brood War at least. Like um like whatever. This is this is a broader topic of like the difference between like StarCraft two and Brood War, but whatever. We don't have to get into that. That's kind of weedy. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I like it. I, I maybe I can't d demonstrate it, but like, I, it is definitely my position that like, um, in StarCraft, you know, the base building, like the reason it's it's you know it's disconnected off. Like you're you're not interacting with the other player, right, with the opposition when you're building buildings, building, sure. you know, the, and it's and it's and in fact, it's like totally disconnected from that. Like it's it's this own thing. Sometimes I guess like you have some some bleed through where you do like a tower rush or something like that, um, but for the most part it's just this other thing and and so to right. me the whole purpose of the core mechanism as a concept is that it allows you to identify that kind of stuff like it allows you to but but I understand like it, it might be kind of I might not be making a great case for why that is an example of that like I'm just saying that it's like I agree with you that it's less interesting well not even. Maybe I don't even agree with that, actually. Like, it kind of co goes together into the coherent whole of, like, managing your game state in StarCraft, but, like, I don't know. It's not that it's like less interesting, necessarily, because it's more just that it's less interactive. It's less StarCraft. It's more yeah, just so, like... Right, with the interactive, like, you're not interacting with your opponent point. Like, that's I think that's a specific criticism of the design of StarCraft. Like, mm -hmm. not necessarily a problem with the... Like, that, the, like, that base building and army management are distinct. It's the problem that one of these two things is very interactive, one of these two things is not. But they could easily both be interactive, um, and there are examples of games like that. Like, for example, in Crimson Company, right? Like, all three of the lanes are equally interactive, right? And those are, like, three different axes of victory. Um, like, so it's not that having, like, an additional lane 
what, whatever. Like, it's not that adding another one means that you have to add one that's not interactive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let me try one more stab at the StarCraft thing, which is, sure. uh, um, uh, so attacking, where if we say that attacking stuff is the core mechanism, like sure. fundamental in the concept of attacking is that there's something that you're attacking. There's an opposition there that you're attacking. Yeah. And by doing so, you're always moving towards the conclusion. You're always moving towards the goal, right? Like sure. you're attacking a thing and, and whether that's a unit or a building, like you're you're moving towards winning or, or towards sure. the goal and you're trying to anyway. Um, whereas when you place a building, uh, that's not um, that's not doing that really. Like it's not it doesn't have a direct relationship with the with the with the goal with the you know what I mean in that same way. And that's why I would say it's not it's not it's uh, sort of like too disconnected from it's it's just connected in this like very loose spreadsheet kind of way from sure. yeah. But like that's like uh, I keep losing my train of thought. <sighs> um, that's kind of like. Like you could, uh, there could be a base building goal as well, right? Like where, like if you get a certain amount or certain composition of bases or whatever, that that is also a victory, right? And mm -hmm. then that would that would be directly, uh, and maybe it's like in relation to your opponent's bases. This is getting pretty abstract now, right? But like yeah. maybe there's some base building goal, like where if you have four more bases than your opponent, then you win, right? Mm -hmm. So like then it would be directly interactive and directly connected to your opponent because like killing one of their bases is or like, or preventing them from taking a base is is uh, is contributing to the goal or whatever mm -hmm. directly and yeah. interactive and stuff. Um, but like, yeah, like I don't know, like when you say that, like, um, the base building is disconnected from the core mechanism, um, and therefore, like when you pursue base building, you're not uh, pursuing the core mechanism. Like, I, I just feel like that's sort of like begging the question or like circular. It's like there should be one core mechanism and like this one, this element of game X is not moving towards the core mechanism and therefore it's bad. Well, it's no, like, no, no. I mean, we, we both that you should have a core mechanism. Well, we both agreed. I think that the base building is, is not like all that great in some sure. way. Right. Like that, that's sort of a starting place that, that, that there's something like a little bit maybe boring or rote or, and, and perhaps yeah. it's just that sure. they, they did a bad job of tuning it or something. But like, for me, I would say that's where I'm starting is like investigating why is that the case? And I think that it has a lot to do with the fact that it's so disconnected from like ultimately what you, what Starcraft's about, which is, you know, killing stuff. And, and in fact, like when we look at games like Dawn of War, you can see that like, oh, you actually didn't need the base building at all. Like you actually could just have this game function uh, basically completely well, in fact, better, arguably, uh, without the base building at all. Um, right. So, so I would say that the reason that the base building isn't working in StarCraft is because it's like not, a lot of it is not that dependent on like what your opponent is doing, right? And mm -hmm. to the extent that it is interactive or dependent on what your opponent is doing, it is working. So like the base building where you're like deciding whether to get a Spire or a Hydralisk Den based on what your opponent is doing, that is interactive. And it is like good and working and cool and interesting. Um, yeah, no, I get you what you're saying. And, and I'm not, I'm definitely not, I'm not trying to make it like a, you know, I, I could, I could certainly overstate my case here. Like I'm, I'm not saying sure. that there's no connection at all. You're right that there is some, um, yeah. Uh, cool. Well, yeah, well, oh yeah, cool. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> we're, we're, we're about about an hour in, so I don't know if there's yeah, any okay. other thoughts you want to, 
say or talk about before we wrap up? Uh, no, I think this was pretty productive, though. I think uh, I understand your position a lot better. Um, so that's cool. Cool, cool. Well, I would also say um, I see that some of the Brain Good games are all the Brain Good games on sale right now. Yeah, yeah, for the Steam Tabletop event. Oh, man. All right, so everyone's <laughs> got to get on that for sure. Get them while they're hot. <laughs> exactly. All right, well, thank you so much, uh, Brett, for coming on the show. Yeah, happy to be here. It's fun. Thank you for listening. This has been the Clockwork Game Design Show. I'm Keith Bergun. Uh, I do a show every Monday, pretty much every Monday on Twitch, if you're not aware. Um, definitely come by there. It's twitch.tv slash Keith Bergun. We do all kinds of, if you like the programming here, we do very similar things. Um, it's a little bit less planned. It, it, you know, kind of, it's a little bit more rambly, suppose, I suppose, but um, it's also very interactive. So I'm talking with people on chat and we're working out stuff together, uh, which I think is pretty cool. It's, it's it's more or less what if I were to be teaching a class in game design, and when I have taught game design classes, they've been a lot like that. So it's basically like a game design class that I do every Monday on Twitch. Um, so I recommend coming by there. But I also tend to upload those to YouTube. So um, stay tuned to my uh, three minute game design channel, my YouTube channel, because that's where I end up uploading a lot of those. So that's it for today's show. Um, I hope to have another show next month, uh, but we'll see how things go with Gem Wizards Tactics. That's really my top priority right now. Um, if you'd like to help support that, you can definitely become a patron at the $10 level. You can uh, actually get access to the uh, to the demo, to the, to the beta, I should say. And um, I'd love to get your feedback. I've been getting a lot of good feedback from people and it's been really, really helpful. Game design is, you know, a, a very communal process and, um, I'd love you to be part of that community. So thanks for listening. Thanks for helping out and coming by. And I hope to see you around. All right. See you next time.